We're very concerned that if the measles vaccination program starts to backslide as a result of COVID, that we could see even larger outbreaks around the world than we saw last year. And that's why it's so essential that the routine immunization program has to continue. Otherwise, we're going to end up with outbreaks of measles on top of the COVID pandemic and a stressed healthcare system that's already trying to cope with uh, COVID will be stressed even further. That's Dr. Kate O'Brien, Director of the World Health Organization's Immunization and Vaccine Programs, laying out clearly and carefully what's at stake if countries fail to unite together to limit the damage caused by the new coronavirus. I'm Daniel Johnson, and for this episode of our UN News flagship podcast, The Lid Is On, I've been talking to Dr. O'Brien as the UN Health Agency marks a World Vaccination Week unlike any other we've ever known, where the worst global health crisis in more than a century is is infecting every single area of our lives. When it comes to the burning question we all want to know the answer to, when will we have a vaccine for COVID-19? She tells me in this wide-ranging interview that the landmark collaboration recently announced between the UN, world leaders, scientists, businesses and philanthropists gives us the best chance to go faster and go better to save the most lives. I began by asking the top WHO scientist to sum up what was at stake right now in the global fight to vaccinate everybody against preventable diseases. The key message for World Immunization Week this year is that vaccines work for all. Vaccines are life-saving for many diseases and we have safe, effective vaccines available now. And how many children are dying of preventable diseases around the world? We still have millions of children around the world who die of vaccine-preventable diseases. This varies from year to year, but it's in the millions. Um, One of the key things that we want people to know is uh, there are 116 million children every year uh, who receive the vaccines that they should get. But that means that there are still almost 20 million children, one in 10 children, who don't receive the vaccines that they should otherwise be getting that are life-saving vaccines. And how has that figure, that ratio changed over the years? Is it because these children are inaccessible, they're in conflict areas, or why are there barriers to getting these vaccines that exist to them? So there's no country in the world that has immunized every single child in their country. We have unimmunized children that exist in every country in the world. And the reasons for children being unimmunized vary. However, the vast majority of kids who are unimmunized live in really special circumstances. They live in fragile countries, vulnerable countries, countries that are in conflict. Um, And these are children who are difficult to access. They may be on the move, they may be migrating families, um, or they're just very um, difficult circumstances to be delivering vaccines in. But there are health workers, nurses, uh, midwives, um, all around the world who are are, uh, truly the heroes of the vaccine program and delivering those vaccines, sometimes in very, very harsh circumstances. You talk about the health workers. They are dealing with the COVID-19 new coronavirus, of course. What are their particular concerns now and your concerns? Because the advice from the World Health Organization is to temporarily halt immunization coverage while the pandemic spreads. I want to be really clear, actually, what WHO has called for is for all immunization programs to continue. Um, It's essential that uh, immunization programs continue to be uh, available to families, 
Um, and uh, these are considered essential health services, and these are um, programs that really need to continue through uh, the whole response to COVID. What WHO has asked uh, countries to consider is to pause on the preventive campaigns that are used. That is one strategy that is used to deliver vaccines, um, but it's not the main strategy that's used. The routine services is the main strategy, and that should continue. Um, we've also uh, uh, issued guidance that for any outbreaks of disease that happen, um, those should be responded to uh, with, a, with a, a clear response through vaccination, um, as long as the situation in the country means that the um, safety of the healthcare providers can be assured, and certainly the safety of the community with respect to COVID as well. In large part because during vaccinations, it's healthy children um, and healthy parents of children who are bringing them. Um, we're not, uh, this is not the same as working in a hospital setting where people who are ill with COVID are actually coming um, for treatment. So I think we have to remember that vaccination services are preventive services. Um, they're largely involving healthy people. Um, and we do want healthcare workers to be protected um, when, they're, uh, when they're delivering those services. Um, but it's not the same level of protection that is needed as those healthcare workers, those other heroes who are actually treating people who are already sick with COVID. So we shouldn't be alarmed that or, or think that these vaccination campaigns are not taking place. That's not the case at all. But what are the preventable diseases that you really are worried about? I've read in your literature that 800,000 people may have been infected with measles last year. So how is the approach this year to get to them not being complicated by the COVID-19 outbreak? So we estimate that last year, in 2019, there were... Um, somewhere around 800,000 measles cases that were reported um, through to WHO. The number of actual cases of measles that have occurred in 2019 is still a work in progress to estimate, but that will be in the millions. Um, the number of reported cases is only a fraction, a small fraction of the actual number of cases. So we're very concerned that if the measles vaccination program starts to backslide as a result of COVID, that we could see even larger outbreaks around the world than we saw last year, an even greater number of cases and an even greater number of deaths. And that's why it's so essential that the routine immunization program, especially for really infectious diseases, highly infectious diseases like measles, has to continue Otherwise, we're going to end up with outbreaks of measles on top of the COVID pandemic and a stressed healthcare system that's already trying to cope with uh, COVID will be stressed even further. And how is the World Health Organization helping to tackle the rising cost of vaccines? And maybe you could just give me a, a quick rundown of the essential preventable disease vaccines which every child should have. Yes, yeah, so every child around the world is supposed to receive vaccines against diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. Pertussis is whooping cough. Also against polio, um, a disease that is near eradication. And we're very concerned that that program continue um, and we get to eradication, which has been uh, you know, a worldwide effort. In addition to diphtheria, tetanus, and whooping cough, 
We also immunize every child, uh, as I said, against polio, against measles. Um, we also immunize children against causes of meningitis and pneumonia, uh, as well as uh, the main cause of diarrhea, rotavirus. So those are uh, the meningitis and pneumonia vaccines um, are referred to as Hib and pneumococcus. We also have regional vaccines. There are parts of the world where yellow fever is prevalent, uh, and, and every child around the world, every girl around the world should be getting HPV vaccine against cervical cancer. In addition, we have some countries that immunize against tuberculosis using a, a, a vaccine called BCG. So we have a, a broad number of vaccines that are each life-saving um, and are recommended for children all around the world. And every child should receive every dose that they need and receive those doses on time to give them the best protection possible. Right. And in terms of the price rises, how is the World Health Organization tackling that with member states? Access to vaccines is a key issue and equitable access and affordable access. There are a number of different ways in which countries are able to afford vaccines. Um, the lowest income countries um, have the opportunity for uh, uh, support through, the, through funding, through the Gavi funding mechanism. So Gavi is the Vaccine Alliance and is the major source of funding and support to low and middle income countries um, to procure their vaccines, to purchase their vaccines, and to support the programs themselves. Uh, this is a, a critical fundraising effort um, uh, looking to raise $7.4 billion, um, and that replenishment will happen on June 4th, and we're hugely supportive of that. WHO is a critical partner in the Gavi Alliance, and uh, this has resulted in incredible advances in the coverage of vaccines in the, in the um, lowest income countries and their ability to introduce the new life-saving vaccines that have been developed and are available to high-income countries are now also available um, to low-income countries where they are most needed, in fact. Has there been any really positive advances, technological advances in the production of vaccines, which has meant that they're getting to more people? We've seen um, the entry into the marketplace of additional manufacturers, and this is really good news. We want a healthy marketplace. We want to make sure that um, there's no vaccine for which um, there's, there's a threat to that vaccine, either because there's only a single manufacturer and if something goes wrong at that manufacturer, then we're without the vaccine. So we're, what, what we're most interested in is a healthy market where there are an adequate number of manufacturers for each type of vaccine, that there's good competition uh, in the marketplace so that um, those products are available to countries um, on a price basis that, uh, that uh, is affordable uh, and accessible for countries. Um, and that manufacturers are, are, uh, see the value of this market um, and uh, will continue to stay in the market and continue to produce vaccines. So what we've seen over um, a 10, 15 year period is not only, as we've just discussed, the, the development and introduction of new vaccines for diseases for which we never had the ability to prevent them, but also we've seen um, the entry into the market of new manufacturers creating an even healthier market. I can't let you go without talking about COVID-19, of course. People desperate to know about a vaccine, even though the major recommendation, or, or one of them is to keep washing your hands, to keep this bug at bay. What's the latest that you can tell us on a vaccine? And what's your insight into this COVID-19 pandemic? So on, the, on Friday, the 24th of April, was a really important announcement about WHO leading a worldwide effort um, with 
all of the entities, all of the stakeholders, all of the organizations that can together put all of their resources towards going as quickly as we possibly can to get to one or more safe, effective COVID vaccines. So this is putting uh, you know, country governments, or, uh, UN organizations like WHO, um, uh, manufacturers, um, philanthropic organizations, um, all of the entities that need to work together. Uh, and when we work together, we can go faster and we can go better. Uh, and this is working together to get as quickly as possible to one or more uh, COVID vaccines. So that worldwide effort is, uh, is underway now. Uh, and leading up to this has been a lot of work already in a very short period of time um, to uh, assure that there are as many um, you know, shots on goal. We want as many products as possible being um, in the early development stage because we don't ever know really which product is going to be the one or multiple ones that are actually going to work and have the safety profile um, so that they can be deployed and given to people around the world. So this work is ongoing and, uh, and is going uh, in a faster way than ever before for any vaccine. People like yourself say there's no magic bullet. We don't know which one is going to work. Why is that? Well, when we have a new disease, um, we have a lot to learn about how the disease actually causes illness in people. What parts of the germ are the parts that we can protect against? And so uh, the usual way that a vaccine is developed is after quite a bit of um, uh, scientific information is available about exactly how the germ works uh, and, and uh, what are the likely targets that we can focus on to produce an immune response to then protect when we're exposed to the actual organism. Because this disease has you know, sprung up um, in a very short time period, there's been, uh, you know, just huge effort to get that kind of information together and lots of different ideas about what the best way might be to actually protect against it. Once we have vaccine candidates, they need to be tested sometimes in animals, uh, of course, in the laboratory. And then we need to slowly get into, um, all right, I shouldn't say slowly, we need to carefully get into testing in humans as quickly as we possibly can and get information about the safety of the products. And then we move into figuring out whether they actually work against disease. First and foremost, because vaccines are um, given to people who are healthy, right? That's the way we use vaccines as we give them in advance of an exposure to the illness. Um, safety is of paramount importance because we're giving vaccines to a whole community, a whole population, um, which is a different situation than when we're talking about treatments, which are, you know, being being evaluated on people who are already ill. Maybe just a final quick word on the latest anecdotal evidence that uh, the disease, the new coronavirus, is mutating all the time, as I suppose it will do, and is making younger individuals, children, more vulnerable. Is that likely? I think what we're seeing at this point in the pandemic, and we've obviously seen lots of countries, is, uh, is kids seem to be relatively not affected compared with some of the other age groups. Very interesting finding. It's not usually what we see in infectious diseases. And so it, there's probably some important clues there about what's going on. And when you go looking for information about the COVID-19 bug, where do you go? Where does a specialist like you go to, to hunt for the bona fide information? 
all pathogens, all germs have some element of um, changing over time. This virus, COVID, is being watched very carefully um, to see what kind of evolution it has. And it, it is not a, it's not a germ that is um, evolving really rapidly. Um, we do expect some changes in it, as we do in all, um, in all germs. Um, on the question of, you know, where to go for credible evidence, well, there, there are many places that have highly credible uh, information. Um, and some of the places that I go to to look for information, of course, is the WHO website um, and my colleagues in WHO, but also the U.S. Centers for Disease Control website um, has a lot of um, very uh, credible and important information on it. What I would caution people is there is a lot of misinformation out there. Um, and WHO has a, a program to, uh, to debunk um, points of information that are simply not true uh, in, in uh, an easily digestible way, really, for the, for the public. Um, so I would really encourage people, as they uh, look at information, read information, hear it, uh, talk to their uh, friends and family um, that uh, when you hear something that just doesn't sound like it, it seems reasonable or it seems uh, correct, please, please check it out on credible websites like the WHO, like the USCDC. If it doesn't sound right to you, it probably is something that you need to check out. And we're doing all we can to debunk points of information that are just incorrect or are completely um, false or misleading in, uh, in their direction. That was the World Health Organization's Dr. Kate O'Brien speaking to me, Daniel Johnson, about the UN's quest to vaccinate against killer disease at a time when the stakes could not be much higher. That's it for this edition of our Lid is On podcast from UN News. For more reliable and accurate information on the coronavirus pandemic, visit the WHO's website at who.int. You can find all of our latest news on the pandemic at our UN News website, news.un.org. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.